Today's episode of the Nick Taylor Horror Show is brought to you by Diabolic DVD. For almost 20 years, Diabolic DVD has been the source for horror, cult, and weird cinema to customers around the world. Diabolic offers a one-stop shopping experience for all of your favorite labels, including Arrow, Synapse, Vinegar Syndrome, Severin, Mondo Macabro, Blue Underground, 88, and many more from all corners of the globe. So whether you're looking for the definitive version of Suspiria or trying to upgrade your crusty old DVD of Cannibal Holocaust, Diabolic is the owner-operated small business choice you've been craving. Shop online at DiabolicDVD.com. That's D-I-A-B-O-L-I-K-DVD.com. We're also brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. It's the number one choice of horror fans worldwide. Nothing starts your day or night better than a delicious cup of Deadly Grounds. Whether you're hunting ghosts or fighting the next zombie apocalypse, any one of Deadly's 30-plus roasts will bring you to caffeine nirvana with the richest flavor you've ever had. Whether you're craving their hellhound roast, witch's brew, devil's night roast, or sinful delight, Order online at getdeadly.com for easy and safe shipping right to your door. We know that once you go deadly, you won't go back. Join the deadly revolution today. Be bold, be different, be deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. Get some at getdeadly.com. Welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Oz Rodriguez is a writer and director who first started his career in comedy, having written and directed for Funny or Die and Saturday Night Live, where he's been for multiple years. Oz just put out his very first feature, Vampires vs. the Bronx, which is now streaming on Netflix. Vampires vs. the Bronx pits a group of young kids from the Bronx against a ruthless gang of vampires who try to take over their neighborhood. It's super fun and scary while also delivering highly potent comedy commentary on the devastating effects of gentrification. Vampires vs. the Bronx really reminded me of the movies that I grew up on as a kid, and I know for a fact that this movie is about to become a gateway horror staple for this generation. I really loved his movie and really enjoyed talking to him. Please give it up for writer-director Oz Rodriguez. Really, really enjoyed vampires versus the Bronx and uh, oh. Tom Holland, not Spider-Man, but the director of Fright Night is a friend of mine. I texted him in the middle of it. I was like, have, oh, you, have you seen vampires versus the Bronx? And he's like, no, no, not yet. I keep hearing it's great. It's like, you have to see it. It's basically like a very modern, relevant Fright Night, you know, in oh, a way. Wow. or it was to me. So yeah, Tom's going to check it out soon. I'll let you know what he thinks. <laughs> well, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, 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 um, uh, yeah, you nailed it. It was it was that movie and Lost Boys and Monster Squad. Um, and it really just came from me wanting to make a version of that for kids that look like me and my friends growing up. As yeah. like, uh, you know, Dominican kids. And, and but it sort of came from that desire to make those movies that I saw growing up. And, and um, like I, as far as like entertainment for kids and stories, like right nowadays, it's like marvel that's it and, yeah you know stranger things had some success there but it's that's it mm-hmm. <laughs> uh you know this gets compared to stranger things and i think it's because there's just a lack of 
of stories like this. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I grew up on all those movies too. Like monster squad was a big favorite. And uh, mm-hmm. back in the day, there were kids movies that were really frightening. Like there's genuinely frightening moments in monster squad and little monsters and stuff like that. And I feel like they're just not making those movies for kids anymore. Like kids movies are not even remotely scary. And to me, there was something about it that kind of toughens your resolve as a kid, if you can get through some scary movies, but I don't know if they're treating kids today as just being too soft or what's happening, but this felt like a very refreshing, you know, something that kids could totally see. It's got a very serious message in it, but it also is accessible. And it's not terror. It's not traumatizingly frightening. You know, it's not gonna. It's not gonna ruin their childhood. (laughs) But did you set out to make something that would be relatively child friendly in that regard? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I was very consciously wanting to make a movie that was PG thirteen. Yeah. For thirteen year olds and 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 under. Uh, uh, Yeah. So I was like, uh, I know I didn't want to have. I didn't want to get too gory with it. And, um, and like, there's one F bomb and that's it. Uh, that's all you're so allowed yeah. in a PG 13 is one. Fuck, so yeah. Right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I definitely set out to do it like that because, um, yeah, I, I wanted to make a movie with kids, but also that kids can see it. Uh, so yeah, that was definitely by design for sure. Very, very cool. So how did the movie come together? I mean, could you just walk us through when the idea came to you and, and how you went about getting it made? Yeah, for sure. I um, I was in the Dominican Republic. That's where I'm from. Um, it was December 2016, uh, so it was a month after the election, and uh, I I was at a crossroads in my career too because I um, uh, I was uh, I directed with a friend of mine, um, and he had passed away, and I oh man, I'm said, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, it passed away in 2016, so uh, I just had to, you know, I, I it was my first time sort of going alone as a director, and I would work in SNL, and, and that was, uh, you know, I had like a home to, to go back to, but I also wanted to, I just, I don't know, it, it was such a shock, obviously, but also like it was my first time going out alone, and then the state of things I kind of wanted to tell a story where black and brown kids could be the heroes. Yeah. And I felt like there was a huge lack of those kind of stories. Um, and I never, I've been a director for my whole career and been, been successful, but I'd never really had written anything like, you know, everybody's written a screenplay, but like it's writing and rewriting and, right. and getting it to that point. Um, so I decided to try it and, um, I came up with the idea and I, around the same time, Lorne mentioned that he had a deal with Universal and they were looking at making, um, they wanted to make sort of a Blumhouse model type thing of like cheaper movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, but nothing kind of materialized and I sort of squeeze in there and mentioned the story and he was like, Oh, your sounds good. It sort of like kind of left it at that. And then we went somewhere. I forget where we went, me and my wife. And then when I got back, uh, Aaron, uh, Aaron David, who works with him, 
had been calling me and she wanted more information on the story and like kind of started developing from there and uh, wrote a treatment, wrote a couple drafts, and then I hooked up with uh, Blaze Hemingway, who uh, really helped me put this into shape and then have a screenplay. That's great. How did Netflix get involved? So Netflix acquired it from Universal after we produced it. Oh, all right. Yeah. And Lauren Michaels wanted to develop like a Blumhouse style horror label or just no, low budget? No, comedy. Oh, comedy. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I, I just, I snuck in there, I think, uh, <laughs> because, uh, uh, well, I, I, I always, I, I think I was very clear from the beginning that it was, uh, it has vampires in the title and it has horror elements, but I always, I always wanted this to be a fun movie. Like, yeah. That was the imperative for me to, to have a fun time watching this movie, not necessarily veer too much into the horror of it all or, or like a straight up comedy, just like a, a fun ride for kids. So, yeah. Again, inspired by those movies we saw growing up. Yeah. And it was so refreshingly fun. And it reminded me of those old movies as a kid, you know, while the social commentary was very strong throughout the course of the movie, it did not slow the fun down one bit. You know, you, you got the message in a huge way that was very resonant, but it was still just such a fun movie and it had some scares in it. I mean, it was a real balancing act, man. It was, it was, it was a whole lot of fun for sure. So, you know, huge congratulations awesome. on the movie. How is Thanks. the, uh, how's the reception been? I think it's been good. I mean, uh, I uh, like it's been amazing to like see fan art. Like that's that's the one of the last oh, that's things cool. I've been. You get any I tattoos just, like, yet? Any what? Anybody with tattoos yet from the movie? Not yet. Not yet. That that's almost terrifying. Give it time. <laughs> that's someone would get a tattoo. But I, I feel like it, the reception has been very nice, and and uh, I've gotten messages from like parents saying that their kids have like seen the movie and felt and saw themselves represented uh that's great you know like latino kids and black kids and like that's been amazing that's that's been so cool that was that was the goal to, to make a movie for kids uh um so that's been just amazing it, it's been yeah. really really cool i think the reception has been nice like we were in like the top 10 movies uh that first week and then netflix so it, it's been awesome and and like you know, my parents are still, I'm from the Dominican Republic. My parents are there. And, and for this movie to open the same day, uh, you know, worldwide uh, is is incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, to get the reception here in the U.S., but also have my parents see it in the DR and have a friend in Italy tell me about it. It's 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 really cool. Yeah, it is super cool. So how yeah. was it working with, uh, with kids? Because, I mean, you had three leads that were... The they were I mean all kids and obviously there's there's rules around working with kids and everything but they were they were such they're all really really good actors you know and conveying things like fear and their comedic timing was really really good so what was your kind of directorial process for working with kids because for a lot of directors that can be a challenge but the, the these kids were fantastic so what was the, the what was the process like well when we started casting I I it was it was. Uh, it was challenging because I like, for example, for Miguel, the main character, I wanted him to be a Dominican American actor if possible. Like I am Dominican and I felt like I needed to at least try my best to find a Dominican kid that could act in it. Uh, uh, so like that was a challenge just to find that specific person, but also because our schedule was short, our budget wasn't huge. Like I wanted to try to find an actor that had experience. So like, so it wasn't a green actor that we're like 
but it's sort of learning on set. Like yeah. I needed, I my I wanted to have a kid that had some set experience that had acted before, and and uh, yeah, was comfortable on set and comfortable with performance. So I got so incredibly lucky finding these kids, and like, and then when we put them together in a chemistry read and audition, they really clicked, and they became fast friends on set. So yeah, that was that was when that happened. I felt like okay, at least. At least I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, there'll there'll be the other challenges of like they can only work nine and a half hours, or like they have to be done by midnight, and like all all those challenges. And the, and you know they're they're going through puberty and like growing up and whatever. But like once I saw the three of them in a room and I like saw their chemistry and I saw how professional and serious about it they were, it was it was uh, that was a great feeling. Like that was a, that was a feeling of relief uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like they come with with, the, with those kind of group of of friends f- battling some evil force, and for whatever reason, they can never tell the adults. You know, yeah. the this, the strength of their camaraderie when it comes to their friendship is so so critical. And yeah, these the the, the kids in this movie, they felt like they'd been friends, you know, their entire lives. Was there any process for establishing that camaraderie amongst them? I mean, did you guys go on field trips or anything like that, or it just naturally blossomed on set? Uh, yeah, we hung out a couple of times. I took him to a, a Yankee game, uh, and we hung out a couple, uh, hung out that day. We had, uh, you know, we, we read the scripts a couple of time and we did some stunt rehearsals. So I tried to like put them together in a room as much as I could before yeah. we started shooting. Uh, so yeah, it, it was, uh, yeah, they were always together. Like all, most of the scenes there, the three of them are together and you know, between takes, they were together at lunch, they were together. So like, there's a scene where they like are rapping down the street and that kind of came from, they would just be doing that in between takes <laughs> and just making a dumb song. So I, I was like, well, you have to do that at some point in the movie. So. We're using that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. So the, the symbolism of vampires just lends itself so perfectly to the movie. I mean, the idea of the, the gentrification theme of people just sucking the life and culture out of neighborhoods it works so perfectly for vampires. I just was shocked nobody had done it before. You know, was there were there any kind of previous versions of the story where you were either considering other symbols like, I don't know, zombies or werewolves or was it just vampires from day one? Well, we uh, uh uh, my, I had I had this idea with a friend of my, with Matt, who I directed with uh, in film school. We we had this idea about a apartment that's run by vampires. Uh, we always had that in the back of our mind. So like I've always been a fan of, of vampires and sort of had this idea of a vampire a vampire movie that we hadn't really cra- uh, cracked. Um, but then I think everything clicked when I started. I knew I wanted to make a movie with Dominicans in New York City. And speaking to Dominicans from Washington Heights, which is a big community in in, in, in New York City, mm-hmm. a lot of them had similar stories about how the neighborhood is changing, how it's gentrifying, how the culture is literally being sucked out. And then something clicked there, and I went right into vampires. Uh, and and then um, another big community or, or, or area where there's a lot of Dominicans is the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And I think I just made that connection right away, and the title came super early in the process. Like... Uh, so yeah, I, I think because because thing, people were saying, sort of using the same words of like sucking out the culture and taking everything out, and like it just it just clicked. Yeah, cool. So how did your 
I mean, you've, you've been with Saturday Night Live for a really, really long time. Very mm-hmm. enviable position. How did, what was your overall career trajectory like? I mean, how did you get to, to be such a big part of SNL? How did, what was your kind of origin story as far as that's concerned? So, I uh, grew up in the Dominican Republic, wanting to be in, in movies somehow and TV, just wanted to work on that, like, Growing up, uh, once I learned what a director does, I felt like, oh, that's what I want to do. That sounds really cool. Um, it took me a little bit to be able to go to film school because I, uh, I, graduated, I graduated high school, saved up, ended up going to college for another thing, and also working as an editor in the DR. That's the first that's the first like skill I learned, mm-hmm. um, which I still use to this day, uh, which is... Maybe the first advice I'll, I'll say, like, if, as a director, knowing how to edit is 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 extremely. I feel like it's extremely important and and a great way to learn what is essential. Yeah, and what and what you need to make a scene. Um, so yeah, I was uh, finally I, I went to L.A. Um, I went to the L.A. Film School, and uh, you know went to film school. I met Matt Belines there. Um, and after we graduated, we uh, we uh, we started making shorts. Uh, well, we tried to make music videos first, and and at that point, no one was uh, MTV was kind of dead. No one was. Right. There was no money, no greats. Uh, you know, all the bands were asking us for money to, to, to <laughs> or no, or asking us to produce it and, and, and pay for it. Okay. Like, we we just came out of film school. We have no money. Uh, and then a friend of ours had an idea for a sketch and we had nothing to do. And we're like, yeah, man, we'll do it. Uh, and did that sketch. And I believe maybe one more and, and got contacted by this website called super deluxe. Um, that was an offshoot of adult swim. It was, uh, uh, kind of like funny or die. Mm-hmm. It was sort of comedic sketches and they gave us money to make three sketches and then they gave us money to make 10 and then they ultimately gave us money to make 30. So for like a year and a half, we were making shorts and it was like the first time I've been paid to direct. Um, and then they ran out of money. Uh, so then I had no job, uh, ended up teaching at, uh, the LA film school. Um, and then, uh, I sent a, dm to adam mckay at the funny or die website and i was like hey this is our stuff i don't it was like a sh- I shot in the dark cold email cold email didn't check for like a day or two because i was like well there's no way uh <laughs> and i believe he responded the same day and ended up getting a general meeting at funny or die and from there uh ended up getting uh hired and that uh that was sort of a step above or the next step as far as sketch comedy directing and started working with all kinds of celebrities from a to F list, um, and bigger budgets. Um, so yeah, I did that for a little bit and then the majors called, uh, and I ended up going to SNL because, wow. uh, there's this funnier die, uh, funnier die, you know, Adam McKay, Will Ferrell started it and also Andrew Steele, who was a, head writer at snl so there's there's a connection to snl i truly don't know how it happened but one day my agent called and they're like hey they want to fly you out to new york for an interview uh and so then four cool. months later four mo- sorry four weeks later i had moved to new york wow it was so fast that's pretty awesome <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I mean, and that and that changed my life. SNL is SNL. So, uh, yeah, after that, I was able to do uh, episodic TV, and um, um, yeah, it's it's changed it changed my life. It, it, it's afforded me a bunch of great opportunities for sure. That's really amazing. So, as far as comedy is concerned, I mean, it's I think it's one of the hardest genres to write effectively. What was your comedic education like, either? You know, imp- whether it's improv classes or just watching lots of stand up and watching lots of comedy, how did you, where does your comedic sensibility and writing, comedic writing ability and directing ability come from? I mean, what was your kind of comedic education like? Well, that's interesting. I think, um, you know, I, I grew up in the Dominican Republic, cons- consumed a lot of TV, but also watch a lot of American television, but watch also Spanish TV and Dominican TV. And I feel like Dominicans have a uh, an attitude towards things that's a little bit more uh, relaxed and joyful, I guess. And my, <laughs> my my family and friends are. Uh, I, I feel like I was surrounded by comedy in a way always, but yeah. um, but I uh, you know I always wanted to be a filmmaker and always was interested in comedy, but I never thought I'd be like. Uh, so deep in, in, in comedy world. So, um, I don't know. It just sort of happened. Cause I, I, you know, I didn't do improv classes. I didn't like take stand up classes. I haven't done stand up. It's just, I, I, I liked, I like filmmaking and I like comedy and I don't take myself so seriously. So I think all those things maybe coalesced into something there, but, um, yeah, I, I think, um, I, I can't. I can't really tell you. Like for example, I've been asked if this SNL job was a dream come true, and it's a dream. But I never even thought this was a job you could do. Yeah. So like, so I'd be lying to say it's a dream come true. It's a dream to work, to work and work with these many people, these amazing people, and do these amazing things. But I didn't even know this was possible. So right. Yeah, I, I think I've always enjoyed comedy. It's been maybe my favorite genre, but I never thought I like. Uh, didn't think I would end, end up here. I don't. I, so yeah, very cool. Yeah, and horror comedy I really enjoy. I feel like the two genres blend together really, really well. You know, there's a lot of controversy about it, but well, um, I think they're both similar in that, like, it's you know, set up in punchline or set up in scare in, oh, yeah. in a way. Uh, so I, I I feel like they have that similarity for sure, and I think it, they're also interesting genres in which you can have a conversation about some deeper subjects without it being too preachy right uh, which i i I really enjoy yeah they both use metaphor pretty well horror in particular yeah i mean horror historically has always been the genre that is most confrontational about actual social issues because Mm -hmm. it can hide behind Mm -hmm. metaphor but it also is very i mean it's very confrontational in a way you know i I think that's one of the reasons why the genre matters so much Mm mm-hmm so is horror, I mean, this was your directorial feature debut, right? Yeah, it was the first time I uh, wrote and directed my own uh, thing. Yeah. Very cool. So do you think you want to stick with horror or go on to make real movies? <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm a big Quote, fan of unquote. Genre. I'm a big fan of genre movies. So nice. I, I, it was uh, it was really exciting to step out of a little bit out of the, the comedy game. Uh, I, obviously, it's got a lot of funny people and it's got jokes and it's a fun movie, but it wasn't just like a straight up comedy. So yeah. 
I would love to keep doing that. I mean, I, I've been successful in comedy. I'm still doing stuff in comedy and, and uh, I'm not going to say no to some of these amazing opportunities, but I've also, you know, grew up watching these, these sci-fi fantasy adventure movies. So I, that's sort of uh, what I love. I love, I love genre movies. And yes, I would love to do a, a straight up horror movie uh, at some point. Nice. Yeah, I mean, now is just kind of the heyday for it in a huge way. I mean, I feel like horror is just getting more and more important, especially, I mean, Stranger Things just kicked off of floodgates being open for nostalgic horror, you know? Mm-hmm. Horror that reminds us of, of what we all loved and grew up on. But yeah, because I think yeah. a lot of 80s kids now are now of the age where they're actually directing things and they're doing all the stuff that they love. And I think that's also why we're seeing a lot of practical effects come back, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's definitely... Fun. Yeah, it's it's definitely fun. So it's yeah. a, it's you're a pretty prolific writer. Do you have any sort of a consistent writing practice, like a daily word minimum or anything like that? I mean, what does your writing practice look like? Well, it's this is all new to me. So I, uh, I it's a balancing act because, like for example, I'm I'm working on a job right now where I'm directing. So I I wish I had more time for writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh i think it's 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 all new it's it's i'm very new to this so i'm trying to make myself have a schedule where you write every day but then uh also like for example the pandemic happened and it's like you know we're just talking about this today with a friend of mine and and uh you know they're, they're when the pandemic hit and people were at home like a lot of people were like great now i have time to finish my screenplay and right. do all these things but it's hard sometimes to get in that zone when like friggin' the world is on fire, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've heard that from multiple people who thought, yeah, in theory, I should have a lot of writing time, but yeah. because of everything that's going on, I am in just having an existential crisis. I don't feel like writing. I'm not motivated to write because of everything that's going on. I just people, a lot of people are very distraught to the point where they cannot be creative, you know? Yeah, so it's it's been. Uh, I wish I could say I have a, a schedule right now, but when I was working on the movie, I had it, I was working on it every day, uh, and uh, but it's twenty twenty has been a weird year. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I I am trying to work up to working every day, uh, and page count is. Uh, yeah, I also I think me being new to this, I. Some days you have a really good day, uh, but some days you just fart out one page and that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. One page after a while, it adds up though. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. I would say my one thing I've learned is to not be precious as far as like the first few drafts of like just really vomiting it out and like just like going and 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 I sort of learned the value of rewriting as far as uh, as far as getting it there, I felt like I, I think I've learned that it's if I'm feeling something, just go and, and write. And even if I can't think of the right word or how to describe sort of allude to it, and then later on makes have that make sense of the, yeah, you know, word mess I, I threw up in there. Yeah, I forgot who said it, but the, somebody, some writer said there is no writing. There's only rewriting. Just signifying yeah. the importance of vomiting out that first draft. You know, yeah. and by doing yeah. that, you get to the end and then, you know, what the movie's really about and then you can rewrite it in a way more informed way. You know, it just seems to make mm-hmm. more sense that way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree. I, I like I mentioned before, uh, 
vampires was the first thing I feel like I've written because everyone's written a screenplay. You throw a rock, especially in LA, and everyone's written a screenplay, but it's really the rewriting of it all and getting it to that place where it's it's presentable and shootable. That that is the work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So last few questions here. Um were there any books or resources that were particularly formidable for you um, and when it comes to your career, either creatively or from a business perspective? Oh, um, uh, about vampires or just in general? Oh, just in general, either like filmmaking books or directing books or writing books or, you know, hey, why not vampire books too? <laughs> Two books I read in film school that I loved and found really helpful were Robert Rodriguez's uh, Rebel Without a Crew um, and then Getting Away With It, uh, the Steven Soderbergh movie, Soderbergh book that I believe he wrote either right before or right after Out of Sight. Perfect. Uh, um, and it was, uh, yeah, they, they sort of demystified the, the act of directing and it was uh, really educational for me. What is next for you? I mean, I know you're on a show right now, but what else are you? What else are you working on? Any features in the works? Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm writing a, a, a I'm writing um, a feature, and um, I would love to keep telling stories that have uh, diverse heroes uh, as uh, as the leads and and. Um, that's what I'd love to do. So yeah, I, 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 I'm writing a story, the sci-fi story with kids again. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm really drawn to, to genre stories that have, uh, people of color as elites. Uh, that's sort of what I want to do right now. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm working, I'm working on something which I'm very excited about, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Just All right. So- uh, but it's a sci-fi kids story. Sounds awesome. Cool. Well, I will definitely be looking out for it. Oz, this awesome. is a real pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Any parting advice or wisdom for those aspiring directors out there? Um, I would say try to find a way to be creative every day. Uh, it's a very hard business, uh, and it could, you know, it can really uh put you down sometimes but i think it's imperative to to be creative every day if you can uh, either writing something or shooting something and you know i i i i tell this to young people students film students whenever i can that like they have a great camera on their phone i feel like an old person when i say that like um when i was your age i didn't have a camera (laughs) on your phone but like you can shoot edit color correct do music on your phone yeah soderbergh Uh, did it with i think it was unsane yeah yeah and the new one flying uh high flying birds too shot it on iphone um and that is um that's hugely educational like i think people sometimes get frustrated because if they shoot something on the phone it doesn't feel like it looks like how they want it to look um and that's understandable you know you, you don't have the right actors or the right lighting equipment, the right whatever, but it's it's super important to get some at bats so you can learn. Yeah. Um, and I think one thing is like if you're starting out, and uh, I uh, 
when I taught in, in film school, I would tell people to like, just do a short so you can just do a short, but really concentrate on the editing so that you sort of push yourself and learn how to edit and do a short where you really push yourself to like light it interesting or learn how lighting works or like do a short so you can do some interesting color correct. Like always sort of push yourself and try to learn new things and, and stay creatively hungry. Uh, so that when you get the opportunity, you're ready. Great. Wise words. Thank you again. Thank you, man. Thank you. All right. Here, as always, are some key takeaways from this conversation with Oz Rodriguez. Number one, consider learning comedy. There are a lot of parallels and structural similarities between horror and comedy. Both are basically based on a system of setups and payoffs, and the two genres can even work really well together. Oz has a background in comedy, which was a definite leg up for him when it came time to write and direct his first horror movie. He was also able to effortlessly imbue comedy into the horror, which worked really, really well for Vampires vs. the Bronx. So consider developing your comedic ability, either through comedic writing, directing, improv, or stand-up. Heightened comedic awareness may greatly elevate your ability to craft effective horror. It worked for us, and it also worked pretty well for Jordan Peele. Number two, Cold emails can change your life. At the beginning of his career, Oz sent a cold email, actually a cold DM on Twitter, to Adam McKay from Funny or Die. Adam liked Oz's material so much that he gave him a job, which ultimately led to Oz getting on Saturday Night Live, which is the gig of a lifetime. A lot of would-be filmmakers get stuck in the trap of thinking they need to be invited or that they need to be discovered or that they need representation in order to pitch themselves. This is not true, and this is how you can waste years of your life just waiting around. Nobody is going to care more about your career than you. So it's incumbent that you get in the habit of pitching yourself to people you don't know through cold emails and cold calls. Yes, of course, it's uncomfortable, but it's so worth it. If you're nervous about how to do this, consider reading some sales books. Also consider getting an IMDB Pro account, which gives you contact information for tons of influential people. Of course, a lot of companies refuse to look at unsolicited materials. But hey, why not give it a shot anyway? The worst they can do is say no, but imagine what could happen if they say yes. Many important people are constantly on the lookout for new voices, so why shouldn't it be you? But they'll never know who you are if you don't start knocking on their doors, so get those cold emails out. Number three, read Robert Rodriguez's book or Steven Soderbergh's. It's very important to read up on the biographies of filmmakers that you admire so that you can have a career formula to model while gaining insight as to how the business itself actually works. It's also very important to read books that make the actual process of breaking into filmmaking both practical and approachable. In Rebel Without a Crew by Robert Rodriguez and Getting Away With It by Steven Soderbergh, both filmmakers tell their origin stories in detail. And in both cases, you see how these were just regular guys who went on to become major Hollywood players. Yes, there was lots of toil and hard work in the process, as well as some luck. But in both books, the guys sound like mere mortals, and their journeys into stardom are humanized and made approachable to the point where you can't help but think to yourself, shit, maybe I can do this too. Admittedly, I haven't read Soderbergh's book yet, but I just bought it on Amazon. But I have read Robert Rodriguez's Rebel Without a Crew multiple times, and it is a must-read. Anyway, guys, thank you as always for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and family on social media? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at I'm Nick Taylor. That's I am Nick Taylor and on Twitter at the same handle. Thanks again for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show.